Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. Today I have a, a very special guest, Joey Krug, uh, lead developer at Augur, a uh, prediction market that's going to be coming online shortly based on the Ethereum blockchain. How you doing, Joey? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, for people that don't know, can you talk about what Augur is and what it's supposed to do when it comes out? Yeah. Yeah. So, so prediction markets are this very old idea in economics. Um, basically, the economist Frederick Hayek in the in the 50s kind of proposed this idea. He said, "There's lots of information in the world today, um, and almost like too much, and that's especially true today." Um, and the idea is, well, how do you get all this information into like one tiny useful piece of information? And the idea was free market pricing. So the idea of the prediction market is prediction markets allow you to create financial markets on whatever you want. So that can be anything from how many iPhone 7s will Apple sell next quarter to will Russia invade Estonia within the next five years to who will become president of the United States in 2020. And essentially what people do is they trade on them like basically like regular financial markets and they trade back and forth and you come up with a price. So to give you an example, if the market for you know Russia invading Estonia is trading at three cents a share, that means the market thinks there's a 3% chance that Russia will invade Estonia in the next five years. And so if you're right in that market, you get a dollar per share back at the end. Um, and the idea is that you can kind of use these things to basically <clears throat> um, more, accurately, more accurately predict things. And then the other kind of cool part is that um, for the first time, people will actually be able to create financial markets on what they want, um, you know, very cheaply for like, say, 15 or $20 as opposed to, you know, 15 or $20 million, which it takes today. Huh. So um, all these predictions are normalized to one. Is that why you gave the three cents per share? So there's there's basically three main types of predictions you can have on a, on a prediction market like Augur. Um, and two of them are normalized to one. So there's um, binary predictions. This is like, will this event happen or not? Um, mm -hmm. And those, you know, always add up to one. Um, there's also like, um, will this event happen? And it's like a bunch of possibilities. Um, so an example of this is it's presidential race. Um, and those also add up to one. There's a third type that doesn't, though. The third type is called scalars. Um, and these are events like how many iPhones will Apple sell or what will the share price of Apple be in quarter four next year. And those ones basically are equivalent to, like, the price of Apple, for instance. Um, or another market would be like that. It's like how many inches of rain will fall somewhere. And those ones aren't normalized to one because the prediction is actually, you know, you want to predict how many inches of rain will fall. Um, as opposed to a probability okay. estimate. With those kinds of um, predictions, how do you know where the odds lie? Let's say um, inches of rain. You know, how would you know if you're um, where the odds are? Well, how would that reflect in the share price? Yeah. So the so the cool part is so if you think of like you know odds, people t tend to associate odds like betting, right? So you know someone sets the odds. Um, the cool part about prediction markets, though, is there's no, like, one person that sets the odds. It's like a real financial market. So um, the odds are basically just set by what people are willing to buy and sell at. 
Um, so for like the rain example, um, you know, if you're someone who knows like a lot about weather patterns and climate and you know that typically it rains like 14 inches a year in some location around the world and that's what the market's on. Um, but you know that this year is like a, uh, a bit wetter than usual, then you may, you know, be willing to trade it up to 16 inches of rain. Um, and, and so that's kind of how it works. It's basically just based off of what people are willing to buy and sell on each side. Uh, similar to how, like, you know, that's why the stock market works as well. There's no one person that actually sets the price. It's just all these people kind of coming together and trading. Well, how are initial um, predictions set? You know, that in a sports book, for instance, there's professionals that handicap it and set the line. What about an auger? You know, let's say I wanted to do inches of rain in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Who starts it and how do, who sets the odds? Right. So, so with Augur, basically, all the markets are like you know community driven. So, like, there's no like you know sports book that's creating markets, right? So, someone would have to create that market. Uh, say you decide to create the market, um, you basically you know put in the description of the markets, like how many inches of rain will fall in this place in Brazil, um, and then you put in like when it expires. Um, so, if you want to have like how many inches of rain will fall at the end of November, you may want to have it expire like a few days into December, so people have time to like you know, get the actual data. Um, and then as far as like the initial pricing, the way that works is there's one of two things you can do. One is you can just leave it there and just like kind of walk away. And there's like, basically there is no pricing until someone comes up and says, I'm willing to buy it X or I'm willing to sell it Y. Um, the other thing you can do as a market creator and what you probably should do is provide some initial liquidity to the market. So you basically say, okay, um, Maybe you know a whole lot about this, so you're willing to offer like very good pricing at like a very specific location. Um, or maybe you don't know a whole lot about it, so you're just willing to offer like, you know, small amounts of, of liquidity at various points. Um, so you may say, okay, I'm willing to sell, you know, um, up to, up to uh, 20 inches of rain and something like that. Um, and so the pricing is basically set by just orders on the book. So if you create the market, um, you know, you have the ability to put the forced orders on the book. Um, but you don't necessarily have to. Okay, I got you. Interesting. Um, what about regulations and regulatory issues? How is this not gambling? You know, what laws will apply or won't apply to it? Yeah, so if you look at gambling, gambling is traditionally associated with things that are basically like um, with like no skill involved. And there's also, um, if you think of like straight up betting, you're traditionally going to like an intermediary like a bookie. Um, where they, they have set the odds. So they're like betting today isn't really done like a financial market um, because you have the bookie to set the odds. Of course, as a as a person who's like placing a large bet, you can move the odds, right? Um, mm. But if you look at types of betting where it's like purely um, market-driven, there's not like a central bookie. A good example of this is horse racing. So horse racing is actually legal in the U.S. And the reason is because um, it's pari-mutual. And so it's a bit different than prediction markets because you're just pooling the money. Um, but the odds are actually set by the, the people in the market. Um, whereas like other types of sports betting that you have that are say legal in the UK aren't legal in the US. And the main reason is because you have to use a bookie. Um, okay. And then, uh, so prediction markets themselves though, the way they've traditionally been regulated is under uh, the CFTC. So the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. Um, and so they, they, there's like a couple centralized prediction markets in the U.S. that basically like solely focus on political events. Um, one is called Predict It. One's called the Iowa Electronic Markets. 
And so they're like basically under the CFTC. Um, the interesting thing about a platform like Augur is, so it's a, it's a protocol, so it's kind of similar to BitTorrent in a sense, where you have like this open source protocol that people are using. Um, and so what that means is that where the regulation falls is kind of at the edges where it interfaces like with regular, like outside society. Um, so if you think of a prediction market, there's a few things that have to happen for a prediction market to work. Um, you need basically something to process the trades. That all occurs on Ethereum. Um, you need something yeah. to hold the funds. That also all occurs on Ethereum. So a lot of that regulatory cost you don't have to deal with. Um, where regulation comes in is if you're creating markets on Augur. Um, so there are some markets that, depending on the jurisdiction, are like 100% clearly legal. Uh, a good example of this would be like a market, like a bug bounty market to incentivize finding a bug in your software. Um, and there's other markets that, you know, if you don't have a license, it would be illegal to create them. Um, so a good example of that would be like certain sports markets. If you didn't have a license, you wouldn't be able to create them. Um, what what so kind of markets would you need a license? Uh, like certain sports markets, basically, are a good example sports, of markets okay. you would need a license. Yeah. And so that that's like the main area where it would, would be kind of be regulated is at the point where people are trading markets. Um, from a trader standpoint, there isn't much regulation there because basically traders have kind of always been protected in the U.S. Um, from like a legality standpoint. So it's really about market creation. Is there any, um, you know, like to invest in certain markets, you need to be sophisticated or accredited. Is there any requirement for... Um, someone to be able to trade on the Augur platform to be able to place bets? Uh, no. So it's it's basically, the, you know, there's a, there isn't any way for the platform to even know that. Um, mm. So if you think of something like Bitcoin, it has these, you know, these pseudonymous addresses, um, but it doesn't know, like, who's using them or where they're from or anything about them. Um, so there's no, there's no, like, requirement there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, what about if someone wants to... Um, set up a prediction again that's illegal because it has to do with sports or let's say it's something terrible, you know, like will you know, so and so be killed or will a terrorist act occur? Will the platform stop those kinds of markets from being created? Yeah, so the platform does have so there's there's basically three roles in the platform. We've kind of touched on two of them already. Uh the you know the person creating markets, which can be people all around the world, people trading in them, obviously also the same. And there's the third category of users, which are people who kind of resolve the markets. So um, with a prediction market, similar to like options markets, they have resolutions, meaning at some point some event actually happens and you need to like coordinate the payout. And so for markets where like basically we call these people reporters in our system and they have the ability to deem certain markets like unethical. Um, mm. And so like a good example of like an unethical market would be like, you know, one that's like an assassination market essentially where you're speculating on whether like a certain person will get assassinated or not. Um, right. And that's something that like, you know, pretty clearly uh, across almost all cultures, that's something that, you know, is viewed as not ethical. Right. So will, will the platform block someone from making that market or is there um, a human that's reviewing all the created markets at any one time and deciding, oh, no, no, this one's no good. We can't allow it. So it's not like one human, right? It's it's a bunch of them. Um, and so so you, you can't prevent it ahead of time because like basically there's not good enough artificial intelligence to kind of really do that today. Um, mm. You know, like you can't really have an AI that judges ethicality very well right now. Um, and so it's basically we're, we're stuck with humans. 
And so basically every two months, um, the reporters do two things. They resolve markets and then they also like basically um, they can like vote at certain markets as, as unethical. Um, and, and in an unethical market, the money's basically just returned. Gotcha. Okay. But, so what's the mechanics of it? How literally does it work? How do, where does money go, quote unquote? Is it bitcoins or is it fiat currency? And how does it get distributed? Can you take me through that? Yeah. So, um, so, so first the, the currency type. So right now it uses uh, this currency called Ether, which is like the native currency of Ethereum. Um, mm. Eventually you'll be able to use currencies like Bitcoin on it. Um, and then eventually you'll be able to use like dollar paid cryptocurrencies on it. And that's kind of where it gets interesting because until you have dollar paid crypto cryptocurrencies, um, you kind of have this weird volatility issue where it doesn't make sense to trade for anything that's long term. Um, so like a good example of this is, you know, from someone in China and I want to speculate on like, um, the price of say Apple and I want to do it very cheaply, but I can't do it today. I'm not going to do it if I'm doing it in ether, but if I have something that's pegged to the dollar, I'll do it. Um, and so the way the money kind of flows through the system though is, uh, so, so a market's created and then if you want to basically trade in it, so say you want to, you think, you know, Trump was going to win in 2016. So you're willing to, um, pay up to 50 cents a share for Trump. So you place a buy order for 10 shares of 50 cents a share of Trump. And what it will do is it will escrow, um, in this example, I'm using dollars, but you can replace it with Ether or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, it'll escrow, say, $5, and it basically sends that money to a smart contract on Ethereum. And it kind of sits there until one of two things happens. One is I can just cancel my order and walk away, in which case I get my money back and, you know, do whatever I want. The other thing that can happen is someone can fill that order, and they'll say, okay, well, I have some shares of Donald Trump. I'm willing to sell them to you because I don't think he has that good of a chance. And what happens is I get the shares, they get the money, um, and then all of a sudden I have these shares. And then at the very end, um, one of two things can happen again. One is that, you know, Trump loses, in which case I lose my shares. I've already sent my money to the, to the person who sold me Trump and nothing happens. Um, the case where Trump wins, though, um, I get basically a dollar per share back, which means I, means I made 50 cents a share profit. Um, and the money all basically just kind of flows to these set of smart contracts. Um, so there's like no like one person or entity that kind of controls the money. Um, it's just all programmatically controlled. How does this resolve with the actual price of Ether though? So let's say Ether now is ten dollars, you know, an Ether, um, but the bet is normalized to one dollar, and maybe the bet amount is fifteen cents. So I know. Let's say I do one share that um, Trump will win, but the price of Ether is ten dollars, and the price of the share is fifteen cents. Like, what are the, what's the math there? Yeah. So basically, you have to <clears throat> when when you make a market, so it's much simpler than that. Basically, you kind of have to denominate a market in something. Um, so you would either choose to denominate the market in Ether, in which case you're just trading with straight straight up Ether and so that problem doesn't exist because you're just basically it's the same throughout. It doesn't matter what, what Ether um, goes up or down with the U.S. dollar price because it's all denominated in Ether. Um, okay. And that works well for short short to midterm things. It obviously doesn't work for something that's like a year off because the price of Ether could change so much that you could be right and still you know lose money or you could be wrong and make money, which is 
not the sort of incentives we want to have. Um, yeah. And so the the thing kind of long term is that people would eventually be able to dom- denominate markets in dollars. And at this point, they wouldn't be trading in Ether. They'd be trading in like a different cryptocurrency that's pegged to the dollar. Um, so in that case, you also don't have this exchange rate problem because it's just constant with the dollar. Um, those like don't really exist yet. Um, Banco Santander out of Spain is making one, and there's a few other people working on it as well. Yeah, I thought there's Tether. That isn't that pegged to the dollar? Yeah, so there's Tether. The only issue is you can't really use Tether on Ethereum. Um, mm. and so since Augur's built on this you know, Ethereum blockchain, you can only use um, currencies that run on Ethereum. And so Tether doesn't at the moment anyway. Yeah, how come Augur wasn't built on uh, Bitcoin blockchain? Why, why on Ethereum? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so if you kind of think um, of like, you know, what is the obvious way to build a prediction market on Bitcoin, um, the first way to do it is, is basically you say, okay, well, with Bitcoin, I can send money around. Um, you say, okay, what does that mean? That means I can create a website people can go to, they can send it Bitcoin, and that site can kind of handle all of their trades and process everything. Um, the issue is that you're kind of forced to trust that site. Um, <clears throat> and so this, the same issue exists if you want to like buy something from a merchant with Bitcoin. Um, you basically have to trust the merchant to deliver. Um, and so the reason we built on Ethereum is it allows you to do all the stuff that the trusted third party would normally do, like handling the money, uh, processing the trades, and okay. you know creating markets, resolving markets. It allows us to do that all on the blockchain itself. Um, so whereas with Bitcoin, you can send money around and it does that super, super well. You can't like really, this is oversimplifying a bit, you can't really programmatically control the money very much on Bitcoin. Um, you know, you can you can do a few things that are very, very simple and basic, um, but you couldn't like write like a like a complicated smart contract like Augur on Bitcoin and, and, and it wouldn't run because there's like, it doesn't have enough features to allow you to do that. Um, right. And so for us, you know, we basically just went with Ethereum because um you know, kind of allowed us to do that. And for us, the idea of decentralizing the trading and the, and the storing of money was super important because um, in order to have like super low fees in like a platform where anywhere, anyone anywhere in the world can trade on it, um, you kind of need to need to do those two things. Yeah, this, this is fascinating. So no one really has custody of the money. It's just there on the um, on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, hmm. Does that help you with uh, any compliance issues or relieve you completely of it because you don't actually have custody of money? Yeah. So if you look at so so the cool part about Augur is like it's it's you know it's this it's this like protocol, basically a platform, and it's all open source. So you know we write the code and people can do what they want with it. Um, The interesting thing is that. You're right. Since we don't actually have to control the money or deal with processing the trades or anything, um, compliance for that sort of stuff doesn't fall on us because we're literally not doing it. Um, and that's 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 also kind of one of the cool things about Augur is, you know, today there there hasn't really been a global prediction market before. Um, even like if you count like regular financial markets as prediction markets, which you could argue they are, um, even those aren't super global. Like as a U.S. citizen, it's very difficult for me to trade with someone in China and vice versa. Um, and so one of the main reasons we haven't is because there's so much regulation you have to comply with. Um, but the cool thing is a lot of that regulation deals with holding customer money, 
processing trades. Um, and those are like, you know, 90% of the regulation deals with something around those right. two things. So if no one's doing that, then the remaining regulation that you have to deal with is like, um, you know, getting money into a currency and out. So that's kind of like, you know, the coin bases of the world, which have kind of already solved that problem. And then the only other category of regulation you have is creating markets. And in some jurisdictions, that's actually like pretty well trodden, very easy to do. Like in the UK, like there's a very clear process for doing that. It's very simple. Um, in the US, it's not as far along. But the, but the cool part is it finally makes it possible to actually like build stuff around a platform where anyone anywhere in the world can trade. And like the edges of the platform can still be compliant because there's so much stuff you have, so much less stuff you have to deal with. I know that um, different countries have taken different stances on Bitcoin. Um, what about Ethereum? Is there are there any countries that have any legislation that would affect Ethereum or Augur, or is it is it tied to Bitcoin because of the nature of it being a blockchain based system, or, or you know what does it look like right now? Yeah, so you 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 know intuitively you would think it would be tied to Bitcoin, um, but like interestingly enough, like countries that have like taken like a oppositional stance towards Bitcoin have also at the same time taken like a like open stance towards Ethereum, which is kind of weird. Um, huh. So if you look at like Russia, for instance, which like hasn't been super big fans of Bitcoin, um, they've like had like news, you know, things on state TV about Ethereum, um, saying that it's like this cool, useful thing. Um, you know, it might have to do with the fact that like, you know, Vitalik has like Russian ancestry, right? So um, maybe that's the reason. It's, could be, it could be something as simple as that, or it could be that yeah. they actually like the technology. I, I don't have any idea. Um, but Ethereum is basically, it hasn't been like a focus as regulators as much, um, basically just because it's newer and they're still trying to wrap their heads around Bitcoin. And then if you look at Ethereum, yeah. it's like adding a whole other level of complexity to it. Definitely, yeah. Huh. Yeah, this is really fascinating. Um, back to the, um, I guess, the volatility risk of the price of um, of Ethereum itself. So you're saying that uh, long-term contracts or long-term um, predictions would be subject to a lot more volatility, obviously. What do you think is going to be the sweet spot where people are tending to make predictions? What length of time? A month? You know, a day? What do you What do you see? Um, I would think so. So in the beginning, when it's you know just ether and when there's not you know this, this stable currency we talked about, I think anywhere from a few days to a few months. Um, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to, to speculate on things that are like more than a year off. I'm sure like some small subset of people will try to do it, um, but it's just something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense given the volatility risk. Gotcha. Okay. Well, all right. So, where's is, where's is Augur at right now? Has it launched? When's it going to launch? You know, what what stage is it in? Yeah. So right now it's it's in beta, um, and the kind of the state of it is we're basically not like adding very many features now. Uh, we're kind of just focused on um, like improving what we have. We're redoing the, the design of the UI to make it easier to use, easier to understand. Um, and then also doing some stuff for like security on the on the Ethereum contract side of things, um, and the idea is basically um, to launch it next year um, with with like you know live with real money. Uh, the idea would be to kind of 
so this this is like kind of cool cool idea that I kind of like from from academia, which is basically um, prediction markets as like bug bounties. Um, so the idea would be okay, well you launch it with like one market. Um, it's like will the money in this market be stolen? And basically people speculate on that, and <clears throat> and then like you know if someone steals it, which is a decent chance that what would happen because um, with these sorts of systems you can't ever really get them secure unless you do it in production. Um, and so then we just would just keep iterating off of that and slowly like open the platform up to to allow more markets with more volume and and grow from there. What kind of bounty did you call it? Uh, so I called it like a bug bounty market. So the idea is you know you have a you have a prediction market um, that's like the you can make them very specific like will there be a bug found that involves like X Y and Z, or you can make them very oh, broad, okay. which is something just like. Um, I think we would go with a broad one because it covers a, lar a larger, you know, attack space. And the, the broad one would be like, you know, will the money in this market be stolen? Because um, mm. that's like, you know, the, the worst sort of attack you can have against something like Augur is stealing the money in the markets. So we should incentivize people to do that so we can find the vulnerabilities and, and fix them. Right. Huh. Well, if you incentivize people to do that, though, wouldn't that be a problem for you? Because then you're 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 telling people, hey, please come steal other people's money. I mean, that sounds like an unethical thing to do. Um, so for that market, we would basically fund that like with, with some of our money. Um, okay. The idea is to put like 50 or 100k in it, and then anyone else who traded in it would know up front. Like it would be very clear that like the only reason you should be trading in this market is it's like a you're just screwing around. B, um, you think you actually found a vulnerability, in which case you would trade on the yes side, or C, you just like Augur and want to kind of put money towards this fund to basically um, incentivize, you know, hackers to try to find issues. So it's not, oh, this type of market isn't, isn't something, it's not something that you would have, like it's a very special edge case, not where you'd want like average traders using it, um, more of like right. a very like preliminary early thing to kind of try to find as many vulnerabilities as you can. That makes sense. Okay. Hmm. Um, what about Augur itself? Or can people invest in it if they think that this is really going to take off? Does Augur have a token that has value? Um, so the way the way it kind of works is Augur has does have a token. Uh, it's called Reputation. And so basically, when, when you have this problem, which is okay, the markets need to be resolved somehow. Um, the obvious way to do it is to just you know appoint someone to resolve them. The issue with that is they can basically buy up the other side and then report wrongly and, and make a bunch of money. Um, the next most obvious way to do it is to say, okay, well, why don't we just ping an API? Like um, Google's election API is pretty trustworthy. Why don't we just use that? And I think that makes sense. The issue is Ethereum doesn't have internet access. You can't do that either. Um, and so what you're left with is like building a system that kind of has a similar security model as something like Bitcoin or Ethereum itself which is um, you basically build up a set of economic incentives where it's, you know, it's vulnerable to a 51% attack, but the network can always fork afterwards if, if, you know, even, if, even if that happens. And um, so long story short, there's these people called reporters. They report on the outcomes of markets to resolve them, and each reporter has a reputation. And so if you report wrongly, you lose reputation. Um, if you report correctly, you either stays the same where you gain some from those who reported wrongly. Um, 
and then in exchange for reporting, you basically get a portion of the trading fees in the system. So the way the fees structure works is half the fees go to the person who creates the market and half are divvied up amongst all the reporters. Um, so the more reputation you own, the more fees you get, essentially. Oh. So what if you have someone that builds up a reputation and then, um, you know, they they're doing it just for the sole purpose of trying to strike it big on a on a very well funded or liquid prediction market. You see any danger in that? And if someone does have, you know, someone does or doesn't have reputation, but they report wrong, and money is distributed, is there any redress for people that you know were they lost their money because they were on the wrong side of the reporting, regardless whether it was right or wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the way the incentives kind of work for um, you know getting a large portion of reputation and and um, reporting on a market wrongly is that like it's in your incentive to do that if the amount of money you can make from one market on Augur is worth more than like the value of half of all reputation. Um, and but even then the network can fork. Um, so to kind of answer your other question, kind of answer them both. Um, the way the reputation system works is there's basically four parts to it. At the very beginning, um, the market creator can just select someone to resolve the market um, because most of the time people are just going to do stuff honestly. Um, or even if it were just like a coin flip, odds of success, it would still add efficiency if we had this step. And then what can happen is someone can challenge it and say, well, that was wrong. Um, and we need to have like regular people report on it so the reporters need to come in. Um, and so the way that works is you're randomly selected to report on a subset of events. So most of the time, even if you speculated in a market that, you know, you were going to report on wrongly, most of the time you want to even be selected to report on that market um, because it's random and you don't know ahead of time. Um, and then say that you did, though, and say that that happened wrongly. Then people can challenge that. And in this case, everyone reports. Uh, so all the reporters in the system have to report on this market. Um, if you still think it's wrong after that, then what can happen is the network can fork into two sets of reputation. One set, you know, that says Hillary won and one set that says Trump won or something. Um, and then mm. at that point, it's kind of similar to a Bitcoin fork or an Ethereum fork where you have all these stakeholders in the system who kind of contribute to what actually happens. So in Augur, you have traders. As a trader, you're going to want to trade on the fork that represents reality because you want your stuff to be resolved correctly. Um, as a market right. creator, you're going to want to create markets on the one that actually resolves them right. And as a reporter, um, it makes the most sense to be on the side that, you know, reflects reality because people aren't going to use the system if you're on the wrong wrong side. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the kind of four levels of backstops. And it, and it ends up being that you have, have a similar security model to something like Bitcoin, where if you have, you know, greater than 51% of the power of the system, uh, you can attack it. Um, but the system can always fork around you. Um, so in the case of Augur, it's basically just forking into two realities, one that says X happened and one that says Y happened. But is there a point where there's a dispute going on, but Ether has moved you know, a substantial amount of it? Can it be pulled back? Is there any way to undo it if, um, you know, if a problem happens? Um, so when a, when a dispute happens, so basically the way it works is Ether isn't distributed until like, until either a dispute 
has already resolved or one doesn't happen. Uh, so to give you an example, like um, at the end of every two months, markets resolve. And in the last 24 hours, people have the option to basically do a dispute. Um, if mm -hmm. no dispute is made, then the money is just um, resolved as given. If a dispute is made, it's still escrowed until this, the dispute finally ends up at some resolution point. Um, so there's no need to like go back because it's just not distributed until it either um, until it reaches the end. Okay, that makes sense. So um, back to the um, the auger tokens. Who would buy them? What's the point of buying them? Uh, you know, what role do they play? Yes, I mean the main role is basically um, you have these markets that need to be resolved, and you need an incentive mechanism for doing it. Um, you know, the obvious way to kind of do this um, naively would be to say, okay, well, we'll just have people like put a stake of ether behind what they're saying and they'll lose that if they're wrong. Um, and the reason you need a separate token is because if you're just using something like ether, um, it works if all of the ether in the system participates, but if it doesn't, then you have like, you can't reason about the security model um, because they're using it for other stuff and a whale can come in and just mess up the entire system. So that's why it's like a separate token. Um, as far as like who would use it, um, basically as a reporter, you know, if you're bullish on like, you think that there's going to be a lot of volume and fees in the system, um, a lot of volume trading through it, then it would make sense to be a reporter in the system. And essentially the way it works is, you know, the more reps you have, um, the more things you have to report on, but you also get a larger portion of the trading fees. Um, so half of all fees in the system go to the reporters. So if you own, you know, 1% of all rep and half of all fees go to reporters, you're getting half a percent of all the fees in the system. Um, and so that's kind of the incentive for both, like why you would own rep and why you would also why you would report. Um, the incentive isn't so much, you know, to gain more rep from people who don't report or people who, who lie because that's zero sum. So, you know, um, <clears throat> there's always going to be the same amount of rep in the system. So the real, the real incentive is basically to report and earn money from the trading fees for reporting. And when you're paid fees, are you paid in ether? As a rep, or <clears throat> so you're paid in the currency. You're paid in the currency that the market's denominated in. Um, so in the beginning, that will be ether. Eventually, that will be you know U.S. dollar paid cryptocurrencies. Hmm. Who thought of all this? How did this? Uh, <laughs> where did this idea come from, and how did it evolve? Evolve, and uh, who's who's the major minds that are uh, involved in all of this? Yeah. So. So, so, so there's like a few like ideas that were kind of combined here. Um, so the idea of prediction markets is very old. Um, the economist Frederick Hayek came up with it. Then, um, then it wasn't really played around with much until the late 90s, early 2000s, when the economist Robin Hansen um, kind of picked up the idea as well and just kind of started playing with it and writing papers on it. Um, so that's an old idea. Um, the interesting thing that hasn't really been combined before was combining the idea with predi prediction markets, which is kind of like never really taken off because it's just like so hard and expensive to deal with like a platform that's like global and also deal with processing all the trades and storing the money and things like that. Um, and so, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto came out with Bitcoin in 2009. That kind of advanced things because now you could actually do this sort of thing. Um, and then the idea for kind of like, Um, it, there's this 
there was this paper called uh, Truth Coin that was published in, in like 2014. That was basically about this idea of um, building a prediction market on a blockchain. There was one out of Princeton called Decentralizing Prediction Markets in Order Books, and that was also about building prediction markets on chain. And then there's also this third um, blog post by Vitalik who created Ethereum, and it was called um, it was called Shelling Coin, and that was kind of the idea for um, both that and Truthcoin are kind of the idea for how do you resolve these markets, and that's kind of the reporting system. That's basically where we got that from. Um, and so if you kind of combine these things together, you basically end up with what we're building. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, this is fascinating. Um, there's a lot to know. So when do you think next year is your goal for Augur to launch, first of all? Yes, I mean, we're, we're like aiming for like sometime in quarter two. Um, but the, you know, the thing with this sort of software is it always like you run into problems that you didn't, you know, unknown unknowns, but that's what we're aiming for. Okay. And can people participate now? Uh, would it make sense for them to buy Ether or to buy Rep uh, to start participating early or waiting till, till you guys launch? Um, so there's a few things you can do now. You can like, you know, go to auger.net. You can join our Slack and ask us any questions. Um, and then you can also play around with the beta, which is basically using Play Money right now. Um, that's, there's a link to that on the site as well. Um, as far as buying, you know, Ether or Rep, um, so for Rep, you know, that's something you basically have to calculate on your own, right? It's like you have to say, okay, well, how much, how much, um, how many trades, how much open interest do I think is going to go through the system? And then, you know, discount it, you know, for whatever discount factor you think. Um, right. And, and, you know, it's basically just like building, like, you know, it's, it's like evaluating any other sort of um, thing you're buying into. Um, everyone thinks they have a different, everyone has a different, like, price that they think it should be. And it's basically just based off right. of what you think. Um, and then uh, for Ether, um, it's kind of a similar thing, except it's a bit harder to value because um, you don't have these, you know, you know, valuing something like Rep, you have these simple inputs, which is like how much traffic will go through the system, what will the average fee be, and how much rep do I own? Of course, nobody knows two of those, and they're very hard to estimate. But if you guess them, right. you, you have an accurate valuation. Something like Ether, it's a bit harder because um, there isn't like some direct correlation like that for Ether. Um, but if you know you're bullish on the idea of people using Ethereum, and and the, and the reason Ether would have value is because you have to use it uh, to pay for computations on Ethereum. Um, that's kind of you know if you think if you think there's going to be a lot more computations done on Ethereum in the future, um, then, you know, maybe you should buy Ether. Hmm. Right. And literally... And of, course, um, and, of course, you could always buy a little bit because, you you know, you need a small amount to do to do stuff on Augur. So if you want to, you know, get started early, you could figure that process out. Okay. Um, Ether, I would guess, is available to be bought. It's pretty widespread. Um, what about REP? Is there how many sources are there where you could buy it? Is it just one, or is it you know? Are there many um, so exchanges you buy, where you can buy Rep? Yeah, so you can buy both um, both Ether and Rep. You can buy them at Kraken and uh, Poloniex, and then Ether has a, a third big place you can buy it, which is um, Coinbase and, and GDAX, which are another big big exchange in the U.S. That's okay. All right, so uh, this has been a fantastic interview. I appreciate it. So. If people want to get involved, 
they could, and again, there's no recommendation here, but they could buy rep, they could buy ether, they could engage with the beta right now. Like you said, they could join Slack and see what's going on and interact with with the team. Um, any other ways that people can get involved and learn more about Augur and Ethereum before you know before Augur goes live and uh, engage with us? Yeah, um, there's maybe a couple other places. So uh, you can follow Ethereum Project on Twitter um, and Augur Project on Twitter for like you know updates. And then the other main place where you can kind of get good information is um, the both the Augur and Ethereum subreddits. Um, so reddit.com/r/ethereum and reddit.com slash r slash auger. Um, both have, you know, people posting news and updates, you know, fairly frequently. So those are both two places you kind of want to stay up to date on this stuff. I would check those out. Okay. Well, again, thank you for your time. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, and I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.